Hello, this is co-host Robert. What you're listening to is a rebroadcast of a classic Forgot My Dice episode that originally aired on the Freebooters Network. As always, this content is a year old and covers topics and news that have long since happened, but feel free to check out the show notes on ForgotMyDice.com, join our Patreon, and join us in the Forgot My Dice fans Facebook group. Enjoy the show. Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Welcome to another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards. And sitting across the table from me, as always, the Shadow War Armageddon to my Warhammer Age of Sigmar. Mr. Robert Lundgren, how are you? I don't know if those two are related, but I'll take it. Hello, hello. Well, you and your little Tyranid army can see what they can do against <laughs> my Sky Dwarves. I don't think the rules are compatible, but we can roll <laughs> dice. We're going to make it compatible. We're going to make this work. <laughs> we can chuck dice at each other. Because why wouldn't flight-worthy dwarves want to destroy vaguely xenomorphic aliens? I can pull out my third edition rulebook and we can try to make something work. <laughs> How's it going, Robert? How are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. As always, we're here to talk to you about all the greatest news and Kickstarters in the board game world, along with deep diving an awesome game. But before we do that, we do want to throw out a couple of announcements. And the first is that our Patreon subscription drive is in full effect, and we've got an awesome prize for somebody. Yes. Uh, so sign up for Patreon by episode 20. So this is episode 17, so you got three more to go. And you get the complete set of the Savage Rifts books. So the, uh, uh, I can't even remember what they're all called. Yeah, no, they're right. I have to stand up. That might as well be in Siberia. <laughs> I'll just go with you. Get the three, the three books: the GM's book, the player's book, and the monster book. Because they have fun titles, but that's it. Uh, if you live in the U.S., we'll ship them to you for free. If you don't, we're gonna we're gonna ask you for money. But yes, if you sign up and just sign up to give us a dollar a month by episode twenty, we we will we will take all of our patreons and and roll the die or randomize or whatever we need to do. Yeah, every little bit helps, folks. Podcasts are not cheap to produce uh, in the long term. They're, they're you know all- what I really liked? I really liked last episode. We we announced our podcast and we said it's like we want it to sound semi-professional. And we, we had that. Of course, that yeah, that's up. the one that has <laughs> the, the, one we messed the audio up. screw up on. <laughs> we jinxed ourselves, man. We should have like, knocked on wood before we before we recorded. Yeah, that was a... Uh, you know what it was? I, I'm convinced it was Rogue One because I had such problems seeing that movie. Like the curse followed me and... Just talking. I shouldn't talk anymore. Where's the wood? I'm going to knock on wood. You're making me paranoid. I'm going to now pause this and check the audio. (laughs) I don't want to re-record the last segment. Okay, we're back. Everything's good. Yeah. (laughs) Paranoia over, folks. You're going to get the normal show. Computer is your friend. (laughs) So uh, aside from that, uh, podcasts do have costs associated with them. Uh, You know, server space for our website software fees equipment fees equipment does not last forever and odds and ends stuff yeah shipping, so, shipping stuff like kaiju incorporated yeah speaking so, of kaiju incorporated it, it's time for our very first giveaway i know i know and, and and i had to dig deep and find my d30 that i bought like 20 years ago god it's been that long yes we had, we had a lot of folks uh, jump in on this contest so good luck to you all um we've got folks representing new york utah maryland oregon florida france Texas, Arizona, California, 
and of course the wonderful neighbors to the north canada oh and a new mexico so a lot of representation from around the world so Robert's, around the world around the world there is just no excuse for robert sometimes but robert has the d30 in his hand we've got everybody on a list with a number we're looking for a number on the D30 that's going to correspond with one lucky person from somewhere in the world. And the winner is... Lucky number eight. Mr. Brent Buckland of Oregon, whose favorite movie is Pacific Rim. Popular choice. Popular yeah, choice. Can you blame him? Yes. Yes, I can. Should have picked Gamera, because Gamera is uh, obviously the Look, don't get me choice. wrong. I love me some Gamera. But when in, in Pacific Rim, when the robot picks up the giant oil tanker and decides to use his baseball bat... Little kid in me just started squeaking. But in Gamera, when the Gaios grabs a train and cuts the end off of it and shakes people into its mouth, can't tell me that's not as cool. No, no, that's up there. That's up there. Okay. That's up there. I'm going to give you that. You know what? You know what? You know what? All the answers are acceptable. But nobody picked Gamera. I'm very disappointed. Go out and watch Gamera, people. That is your new homework. <laughs> so. the, the newer ones. Not the newest one, but the uh, trilogy done by the guy. I, I don't. I'll, I'll link to it to the IMDb page. <laughs> You're as bad as the people that used to be in the video and bookstores. Yeah, you got that new movie by that one guy. You know, the one with the dude in it. Yeah, with the hair. Yeah, the says, hair. The hair. Says, that, yeah, says that line. He has that catchphrase. <laughs> so, Brent Buckland of Oregon, congratulations. We're going to be shipping you Kaiju Incorporated. Lucky number eight on our list. So, in the meantime, let's continue on with the show. And as always, we're going to start with our off-the-shelf segment. And in our off-the-shelf segment, we talk about everything that we've been working on. And from geeky shows and books that we have been watching and reading to all the wonderful board games and RPGs that we've had a chance to play. And, of course, let's get started with some video games. I know you've been playing your Dragon Quest, so get it out of your system. (laughs) There's not much to talk about. Yeah, your Facebook feed... Tells the whole story. I dusted off Dragon Quest Builders because I got a little burnt out on it. And then after... after I can't imagine why, addict. <laughs> well, after my insanity with uh, Andromeda, I, I was like, you know what? I should start plugging through my, my list of shame. So I'm like, you know, I, I was almost done with Dragon Quest Builders. So I started working on that. Not much to say. I tweeted out a few pictures of it on, on our Twitter feed. A few? My Facebook feed's different, sir. <laughs> I, I think I did one on the Twitter feed. If, if you're like me and you're on the unfortunate end of the Facebook feed, uh, every time I open up Facebook lately, there's a picture uh, that Robert has posted of some portion of his castle being being built. T- Tantagil Castle needs to be rebuilt from the forces of the Dragonlord, sir. <laughs> and moving on. It's a good game. Check it out. Blah, blah, blah. So- uh, I've also been playing Destiny. That's something I haven't been posting about as much. The problem was I started playing it with some buddies, and then it was way more fun with my buddies. And then when I was by myself, I'm like, this isn't fun anymore. Yeah. I'm going to go play Dragon Quest Builders. <laughs> that, that game is a bit of a grind without the co- uh, without the, the full co-op experience. Yeah, and I, I was just fine with it until I started realizing what I was missing. But still, fun game. I'm seriously considering getting part two. It's got great shooting mechanics. It's without fun. A doubt. I, I really like the shooting mechanics. I just... I'm playing a Sun Warlock. It's hilarious. I throw suns at people. Yeah, well... I mean, sun grenades. There's, there's obviously a very big and deep world there but the problem is they just forgot well, to tell us no, well here's the thing i got into it really late so they they actually haven't like i i got the gist of the storyline playing it so they must have been yeah, see, I, adding I get, it back in after the fact i i 
never played any of the big updates, and they did do some major updates, so I probably should go back and check it out again. And then you, I'm sure, have been playing a little bit more Overwatch. Oh, yeah, the, the Uprising event's been very fun. I gave them a tip in the tip jar because I thought it was a really good event with the robots and stuff, just like I did for Halloween. So I gave them 10 bucks, got myself 11 loot boxes, and, you know, that's what you do in that game. If they do something you like, just, just buy 10 loot boxes. Give them a tip in the tip jar. Sounds good to me. Yep. Well, on the video game front for me, I continue to have my obsession with Battlefield 1. Battlefront, uh, Star Wars Battlefront 2 looks interesting. Actually, has a single-player campaign. Yeah, Star Wars Battlefront 2 does look amazing, and the trailer looks awesome, and is considered canon, I might add. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm and considering that one, too. It depends on if my buddies get into it. Because, so. of, because of that trailer, I actually got back into Battlefront, and I've been playing a lot of Star Wars Battlefront again. And uh, additionally, for me on the video game front, I have been playing through uh, Halo 2 with my oldest son, hmm. and we're having a blast on that. We're almost to the end. So that'll make the second Halo game that we finish together. And then we'll move on to 3 and then ODST. And Do you have, like, the collection on the X-Bone or something? Yeah, yeah. The Xbox, there was a, a re-release of the entire collection uh, with the redone graphics for, for Part 1 and Part 2. No, we're having a good time. And I um, did pick up Halo Wars 2, and so I've been playing a little bit of Halo Wars 2 as well. So that, Yeah, you mentioned that last time. You just said it, it looks yeah. pretty. No, yeah, no. It's, I've had a chance to bite into it a little more. It, it's got all the classic gameplay from the first Halo Wars nice little story going i'm really enjoying it actually i, I think it's a, it's a good addition i just wish there hadn't been such a gap between one and two how about any reading have you been doing some reading so i picked up myth of the maker by bruce r cordell who you may recognize as he works for monty cook games and he made the strange and myth of the maker so the story of the strange of how it got made was after bruce got either laid off or left wizards i don't remember what happened with him uh, he decided to write the you know the great american novel like every writer does sure and he was writing this book, and he gave it to his best bud, Monty, and said, like, what do you think of this? And Monty, at the time, had just gotten done with Numenera, and he was kind of looking for his next thing to do with the Cypher system. And he's like, hey, Home Skillet, why don't we make this into the next Cypher system game? So Bruce kind of put the book down from where he was at, uh, revamped it into the Strange RPG, and they did that Kickstarter, and the rest is history. And so last year, they did a Kickstarter for... Uh, expanded options for the Cypher System rulebook, you know, mm -hmm, for like mm -hmm. uh, Predition and stuff. I think we talked about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Myth of the Maker was one of the stretch goals. He, he said, you know, if we hit the stretch goal, I'll pick up that novel again, I'll finish it up, and we'll release it. So now it's come out. Awesome. And I bought it digitally. I, I think the hardback's out now, too. And it's actually pretty good. I don't know how good it would have been by itself. Like, me knowing the strange has definitely helped. But it's it's a really interesting novel because... It takes place on Earth and on the fantasy world of Arden, and it bounces back and forth, you know, from different point of view characters, kind of like Game of Thrones. Yeah. And uh, it's just really weird because, you know, you've got this guy, like, the, the main villain is essentially a god on Arden, and he's talking about all this psychotic stuff about, like, you know, what he's doing and his big Machiavellian plan, and he, he sounds like the bad guy in an MMO that he's kind of inhabited. His big thing is he just wants to quantum leap and, you know, he, he just wants to come home back to Earth because he's a dude from Earth that got trapped and became the villain of an, of an MMO, essentially. Oh, that's kind of neat. And it's just, it's a weird book. It's, it's, but it's interesting and it's, it's kind of post-human because, like, the main character gets copied at one point because there's, it's, it's a weird book, but it's fun. I'm I having a good time. need to read that when you're done with it. Yeah, it's good. I, I, I recommend it, especially if you like The Strange. I, I don't know how well it would play if you're not familiar with The Strange. I'm kind of curious for someone who doesn't know it to read it. That's it. That's all I've been reading. For me, reading has consisted of a lot of Games Workshop stuff recently. <laughs> um, I 
read through the rules for Age of Sigmar. Uh, you know, you know, reading through the four pages of Age of Sigmar rules isn't exactly accomplished. Six, sir. Six. Oh, I stand corrected. Six, thank you very much. I stand corrected. But uh, you probably read through the General's Handbook, which is a little bit more of an accomplishment. Yes, that, that is a slightly larger tome. And yeah. speaking it of actually tomes, has a cover. Yes. <laughs> and, and speaking of tomes, the General's Handbook was read because I was preparing myself uh, for the release of the Caradron Overlords. <laughs> Yes. Who are now out on the street and have badass, awesome models. And I have picked up the frigate and the admiral, and uh, I cannot wait to to grab more of them. And I also picked up the battle tome for the Caradron Overlord. It's so cute seeing you read your first Games Workshop uh, codex. So it's may I so just say, cute. Games Workshop, well done. That is some good fluff going on right there. Wow, I'm, that was a full slow clap. I'm surprised you didn't slowly rise up from that. Now I am. I am. In, I wanted to, but my chair would have squeaked. <laughs> um, no, I'm just. I'm really enjoying it. It's really well written. It's got some really good stories, and these are not I, your everyday dwarves. I, I like Age of Sigmar because I, I'm kind of bored. Like I play D and D, which is a weird thing for me to say this next line because I, I don't like playing strange fantasy settings. But I'm kind of tired of generic fantasy settings. And that's what never I, I never liked the Warhammer fantasy line because of that because it was just like oh it's elves and they have bows in the forest yeah, no, and oh it's high elves with their wizards yeah no like the elf faction is like ghosts inhabiting trees and the dwarves are like you know we don't dig underground we float in the sky woo and yeah it's just it's a really interesting take on a fan a very high magic fantasy setting and I'm really yes. I'm really digging it and even though I, I have some I have some like like hipster hate in my heart for the Stormcast Eternals. Because uh, during my 40k days, I, I just hated playing Space Marines all the time. I, I got I got a really bad grudge against Space Marines that I can't I can't I can't get over it. I hold grudges. I I, I just I can't like the Stormcast Eternals because of that. But regardless, I, I I was reading their fluff and I was like, this fluff's pretty good. Yeah, Still no, hate I, I really like the Stormcast Eternals. So the story of him bro fisting a dragon is pretty awesome. Yeah, well, because he's got to ride around the cosmos like he's on Falcor. I can't remember the never-ending story song, or else I'd sing the it. The never-ending right story. No, no, no. That 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 stupid overture they do every time, like that he's in front of the green screen on Falcor's head. You know, I can't, I can't even think of like that music's so iconic, and I can't, I can't, I can't reproduce it with my brain right now. This is frustrating. Move on, move on. <laughs> I saw the model you've you've been assembling. Yes, it's uh, sitting in the corner of my office right now. I primed it yesterday after finishing the build. I think it looks awesome. The detail's amazing. And I will say this about Games Workshop. I had never built a Games Workshop model before. I've built a ton of War Machines and Hordes models. I've built some other models in my day. Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at the Rancor that I know came in five or six pieces from the... Yeah, the yeah he, he barely even counts. But yeah, I've, I've built a, a lot of these models. I, I've got to tell you, I get why Games Workshop is on top. Between building the Blood Bowl models and building this uh, Caradron Overlord frigate their models are on a different level. They are remarkable. And that is not to say that the other models aren't beautiful and, and the sculpts aren't good and, and awesome, but the thought process that goes into how they display those pieces on the sprue, it, it's just amazing. Yeah, I've done privateers. I've done two of their models that come in an injection molded plastic kit. And, and Games Workshop, it, it just shows that they've been doing it longer. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I definitely think Privateer Press is getting a lot closer. They're almost there. They're almost to that level of mastery. But it's interesting because a good 75 to 80% of the cuts I had to make, 
I didn't even have to file down because when you start constructing the model, you realize, oh, this is going to be completely hidden because these two pieces go together, hiding the cut point. Mm-hmm. And that's really, really remarkable. I was just, it's, I'm just very impressed. It's a, a really well-constructed, well-thought-out model. And it, the, the detail that they have on their plastics and the, the type of plastic that they use really is just it's top quality. It's top-notch. Yeah, well, on my end, I, I bought some new models because I... We'll get, get into it in a minute, but my RPG group, two of them started playing Shadow Armageddon, and man, did they pitch that thing to me and, and sold me. I played 40k back during 2nd edition, and I, I got out of it. So, like, the whole game, like, playing, you know, the different factions from the normal 40k universe, it, I was like, oh, I don't want to do this. But then when they said, oh, they put in rules for Tyranids, and all of a sudden my interest perked back up, I'm like, I can, I can has bugs again? <laughs> and, and the best part is, the best part is, I only have to get nine bugs! And, and I'm like, oh, I, I can has nine bugs and then not have to buy my army again that I sold. Ooh, and I get to play dumb fluffy game. Ooh, well, I, 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 I mean, I'm following I mean, you dumb. down the rabbit hole too. Oh uh, yeah, I, I have now decided that I will pick up a Pathfinder kill team for the Tau Empire, and yes. I will join you in the. Uh, uh, Armageddon and my scary bug monsters will eat you if they can get close to me. Because having read through the way the Tau work, you're going to have a a whole lot of problems trying to close in distance. I'll get you. The Great Devourer consumes, sir. <laughs> so I'm going to have to go find my old codex. I still have it somewhere, and yeah, I'll have to re- reread Fluff. But the Fluff was fun. I love my Tyranids. Yeah, I love so- the 40k universe. I play. I played. That's the thing too. Like they're adding in. So they they're releasing the rulebook. We're going to talk about it later. But they're going to add in Inquisitors as one of the factions you can play on it. And man, was I thinking about Inquisitors. Because A, excuse to buy Inquisitor models in case I ever play Dark Heresy again, which is an awesome role-playing game. Secondly, did I mention that like Inquisitors are cool? I should let you borrow the Inquisitor book. Like, I'll read the it. The Inquisitor book. I'll read it. Inquisitors are rad. But but I'm like, I have to have my bugs back. I have to have my bugs back. So I'm trying to decide I'm trying to decide how I'm going to paint them at this point. Should I, should I go with my classic one where I paint them kind of like Xenomorphs and they were kind of dull and gray? Or should I do something crazy? Speaking of painting, we unfortunately had to cancel our painting. Yeah, game. that was my, my. Well, that wasn't my. It was my son's bad. I was having kind of bad insomnia, so I finally passed out around two a.m. having to wake up at six. But my my boy had other ideas and woke up at three and wouldn't go back to sleep. <laughs> so I was a little tired that day, and I was like, "Can we just, can we just not do it? Can I just like sit here and, and not do anything?" So our quest to uh, finish painting up our blood bull figures had to take a quick pause, but we we do promise we're we're almost there. We're gonna get this done. Yeah. Um, because we both really, well, I'm, I, I can't speak for you, but I really, really want to get I just to want our to put my review. It I just, looks awesome. I just want to put my orcs down. I'm fine with, with that. Like I said, I'm really curious. I, I've said before, I'll say it again. I know nothing about football. I'm, I'm one of those sports ball. Nerds. I think you're going to do fine. I yeah. I, I'm just fine. curious how, how I'll, I, I think it's a good point counterpoint when we review it because you're, you're going to be able to say this is like football. It feels like football. It's fun. And I'm going to be say, I'm going to be here like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> this is just a fun game or it's not a fun game or whatever. So I, I, I think we're a good point and counterpoint to is Blood Bowl good. Yeah, so a whole lot of Games Workshop happening over here. I know. Who would have thought? It's that Games Workshop store that opened up near us. Uh, yeah, maybe that's what it was. That dude's that's super nice. Oh, Scott? Dude. Yeah, Scott's cool. Yeah. Scott, and a very nice guy. Scott, out in the uh, Round Rock Games Workshop store. He just gave a thumbs up. That, that was, was good radio, sir. That was good radio. That's happening. <laughs> a little, little, little shout out to our local GW guy. I had a couple other things that I've been reading through. Um, after I um, had my frothy moment with my Caradron Overlords, I put it down just long enough to start paging through and reading the Tales from the Loop RPG book that finally came to me from Kickstarter. What did you think? 
I'm enjoying it so far. Okay. I'll give you the rundown. Number one, the first thing that I saw was the map that fell out into my lap. Boulder City on one side. Yeah. Weird Swedish islands on the other. The first thing that came to mind looking at it, I don't know if your parents had a National Geographic s- subscription in the 80s growing up, but mine did. <laughs> did I grow up in the 80s, sir? Yes, you did. Yes, I did. Yes, we yes. did. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> The first thing I looked at when I unfurled the map was, oh my god, this is the same font that they used on the National Geographic maps. This feels like a National Geographic map. It was awesome. Some bitch, you're right. It put me (laughs) right into the 1980s. That didn't even occur to me. I didn't look at the map too hard, And and that was even before I even got to the book. I mean, it was just instant anchor point. It was amazing. I was totally stoked at that point. I dove in, just paging through, number one, the art is just sublime. I mean, I the, the, the art in that book is second to none. Well, it's it's, that, it, yeah, that's, that goes without saying. Yeah. I started reading through the, uh, through the material, and my, my early impressions are very positive. It's, it's very easy to follow. I'm really enjoying reading it. It's, a, it's an easy read, and I think it's going to make for a cool setting. I do have a little bit of worry, and this is not from anything I've read, but just because it is being translated from another language, so I'm hoping that nothing kind of gets lost in the translation. They, they've gotten better. It, it's kind of funny. I, I looked through some of their early Kickstarters, and it reminded me of that those two guys on Family Guy, the the Europeans that don't quite get <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a lot of their early Kickstarters were kind of written the way they talk, and every so often you get like a line or two of that in their in their writing, but most of the time it's pretty it's pretty yeah. decent. I'm really enjoying my first impressions of the book. I'm really looking forward to it, and I, I really wouldn't mind because you got it too. So I really wouldn't mind uh, uh, deep diving this in the future. Hmm. I'll have to finish reading it. And I picked up a copy of Empire of Imagination and then promptly ordered you one as well uh, because it is a book all about Gary Gygax and his development of the original Dungeons of Dragons. You bought me a gift? I did indeed. Aw, my heart goes pitter-patter. <laughs> well, just from the, the little bit that I'd read, I was really enjoying it, and I thought that you would actually get a kick out of it as well, and I thought it would actually make good fodder for the show. So I, I picked up a couple copies, and uh, yeah, I think that we'll be talking about this more in the future. Moving on, let's talk about board games. Have you had a chance to play any border RPGs? Yes! So I mentioned earlier, uh, I've, I've been playtesting something, which has been fun. I know, I can't wait to do another session. So for those of you that don't know, we, we sort of started this site as a, a D&D blog, where we, me and uh, my writing partner made original content, and then me and my wife had twins, and that kind of screwed everything up, as babies do. And so we had to put that down for a while, and our original plan for quite a while was to come back and, and write something. And it just, it wasn't working out, but me and my writing partner kept talking about stuff. So we, we cobbled something together and we're, we're playtesting it right now because it's a little bit more involved than, you know, just writing random articles that aren't really playtested. Uh, we made characters and it was a lot of fun. I got a lot of good stuff actually just out of the character creation, just about stuff. So yeah, no, it's, it's coming together. And I hesitate to talk about it because I read something on Cracked once where if you talk about something, it fools your brain into thinking you're actually doing something. So I've been avoiding talking about it because and, I don't want to fool my brain. Yeah, let's not go there. Let's not go there. Anything else? No, just the game we're going to deep dive. We have both had an opportunity to play the Dresden Files cooperative card game, which we will be talking about a little bit later this episode. I also had a chance to get a couple other things on the table. I played a couple of single-player games because I was on a work business trip out of the city and I had nothing to do because I was far, far from home with zero social calendar. I I took a copy of Zephyr Winds of Change, which Mm -hmm. is a uh, new game that I got. I kickstarted it last year. It's a really neat one-player game. You're an airship captain, and uh, I really enjoyed it. It, It's got a really interesting couple of mechanics. Everybody gets an airship. You can play it up to four players uh, cooperatively, 
And your airship, the basically when they produced it, they produced uh, very, very thick cardboard with some indentations in it. And you can drop different tokens into it, which modify your airship. Okay. And then the captain cards and the crew cards are actually see-through, similar to Gloom. And you can stack them on different rule sets, giving you mix and match on the rules. Oh, how so cute. So it's, it's, it's really interesting. I'm, I'm really getting into it. I'm really enjoying myself so far. So I'll be curious to see how it unfolds with a few more playthroughs. So I played uh, the single-player game Friday, which is all about you're basically trying to uh, prevent Friday and Robinson Crusoe from getting murdered. Really uh, interesting game. This is, this is a classic. It's been out for a long time. It's one of probably the finest single-player experiences ever. And the best part is it's a tiny little box. It's really easy to take with you, so you can take it pretty much and play it anywhere. My kids and I played a little bit more Arcadia Quest, and we're having a good time with that. And um, the kids really love the poke-at-each-other aspect of it. Imagine kids would. Yeah, yeah, they really get into that. Arcadia Quest is turning out to be quite the hit for the family, which is kind of fun. But unfortunately, that's all I've had an opportunity to play lately. Just been uh, with that business trip for work um, and all the reading I've been doing about my dwarves. It's been a little short on time. So let's round it out with movies. Have you seen any movies lately? I've seen 14 movies lately. Wow. Yeah, the new season of Mystery Science Theater dropped. Oh, no. You hardlined it? I hardlined it. (laughs) 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 Yeah, that, 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 that took up quite a bit of time. Yeah, yeah, no, I got through the entire season between these last two episodes. I don't know how you did that. That is, that's a lot of time. Yes, it is. Don't don't tell me anything because I haven't had a chance to even watch one yet. Okay, okay. Well, here, okay. Here's what I will tell you. I really liked it. I don't think I can say anything that hasn't been said on multiple fronts. It did a really good job of not being the same old, same old, but really feeling like the original show. Like everything just felt right, and oh, even though it was good. new people, that's, that's a tough thing to, to nail. Yeah, and they they just nailed. In my opinion, they nailed it. I liked it a lot, and I was very impressed. So, so speaking about bad movies, oh, <laughs> so because I was traveling, I had an opportunity to uh, watch a few films as well, and I watched uh, one really, really good movie called Arrival. Oh, and... I've been wanting to see that. Oh, uh, wow! It falls in my favorite science fiction genre, which is the overly long, pretentious sci-fi movie. Yes, like two thousand one well, and it, Interstellar. It, it's not at all nearly as pretentious as I thought it was going to be, oh. and it. You know, I, I really like the director. He directed Sicario, and that was a super intense movie. And the director is actually the guy who is doing the new Blade Runner movie. So yeah, like I really, really like this director, and uh, he does not disappoint. The movie is extremely tense, just like Sicario was. Uh, it's got a, a really interesting storyline, and I will not say anything more, because it, uh, it would be a shame to ruin it for anybody who has not seen it. And then, because they were on special, and I was traveling and had nothing better to do, I watched all five of the Underworld movies. Nice. Here's my pocket reviews of the Underworld series. Underworld 1. Fun, but why does everybody have to constantly walk through doors? It's amazing. A lot of doors. But that being said, it's an interesting world with uh, super, uh, you know, super hot topic vampires and all kinds of other stuff going on. And you know what? I liked Underworld the first time around when it was called Vampire the Masquerade. Oh, it really is that. No joke. They You're got sued for that. Oh, really? I yeah. Didn't know that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They settled. They settled out of court for it, but they're in the credits because of it. There you go. Then I watched the second Underworld movie. Some interesting concepts, but distinctly... I like that one the second time around when it was called Skyrim and you went on the vampire quest. <laughs> I don't know. It was a step backward, but not a huge step backward. And then, so the third one did it round the corner back up, or did we we, we punch down? Uh, I, I, we're, we're beyond where I've seen. That's the prequel, right? The third one was kind of you liked it the first if time. If you, you know saw it? the end of Romeo and Juliet, there's no impact because you know they die. That's like saying, oh, you know, like Titanic was really sad. 
because uh, you know like i thought they were going to survive but then the ship sank <laughs> no no the ship just sinks you know the ship is going to sink you know everybody's going to die you know exactly what the outcome of the major plot points are going to be because you they've described it in detail in the first two movies it's saved by really good acting but it is just terribly written so then i watched the fourth one <laughs> At this point, I don't understand how they're still being released in movie theaters because we are straight to video bad. And just, oh, it's just so painful. And then the fifth one is now saddled with the fourth one. And so, therefore, no matter how much it tries to be its own thing, and it's a distinctly better movie than the fourth one, I might add, it's still saddled by all these stupid plot points from the from the jumping of the shark in the fourth one. So it just, it can never quite get away from it, you know? It, it, it's, it's so tethered and it's a pity because it's actually an attempt to get it going back in the right direction so then i redeemed myself by watching rogue one for the seventh time and uh then i also watched uh, big trouble in little china because i needed to get the filth off me (laughs) so that was my movie watching my galaxy quest is my go-to movie to get the filth off of me there you go so that is (laughs) that is our off the shelf segment a lot of stuff as always, uh, you know, we'd love to know what you've had off the shelf, so join in the conversation on our forums on the Freebooters Network, on our Facebook page, on our Twitter feed, on Robert's Love Love Lust, the Pinterest page. Pinterest is awesome. <laughs> and you know, join in the conversation and let us know what you've had off the table. We'll be back in a few moments after a short message from our sponsors. And now a quick message from our sponsors, Geek Nation Tours. And what an amazing tour they've got coming up at Gen Con 2017, which is, of course, the 50th anniversary of Gen Con. Now, along with hanging out at Gen Con, which is epic in and of itself, this tour is going to have a zombie theme. You're going to get a chance to meet Mantic Games, creators of the Walking Dead all-out war game. You're going to get an opportunity to play with Hunter Games Outbreak Undead, which is an epic game where you're actually going to have an opportunity to try and survive a real-life zombie apocalypse as you try to return to the hotel from the convention center. Along with all this, you'll also get an opportunity to play the game Zombies, the game Zombie Dice, and you'll get a chance to try out the new Steamforged Games Dark Souls board game based on the amazing video game. So to learn all about that and so much more, head on over to GeekNationTours.com and take a look at what's available. Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And welcome back. Now it's time for our Wisdom of Crowds, our bi-weekly tabletop news and Kickstarter segment, and lots of interesting news this week. First up, Green Ronin is launching a publishing arm for their properties. And in uh, a related news, they're doing a talent search, basically, for their, their first property, which is the Lost Citadel. So their first story collection is going to be, you know, stories about their, their new IP, The Lost Citadel. It kind of sounds like a uh, a dark fantasy setting. They've been kind of vague about what the world's like. I, I don't even know if it's an existing property or not. I've never heard of it, so 
But one of the things they're doing is they're also having a talent search. They're specifically looking for women identified and non-binary individuals to submit writing samples to be included in the new IP line. And you don't have to know anything about the IP. They, they're going to send you something if they select you. But yeah, we're going to have a link to the press release about them launching the fiction imprint and uh, a link to the talent search in the same thing. But I think it's kind of interesting that they're, they're targeting individuals that normally don't get a lot of play in, in the, uh, the RPG segment because it's, it's a bit of a sausage fest. I don't know if you've ever noticed. <laughs> Just a little bit. Just a little bit. So, so I have to give credit where credit is due. Recently, the I, I've been looking through all the credits in the Fantasy Flight RPG books that I've been picking up for Star Wars, and they've really, really been expanding not just their authorship, but their artist profiles as well. And there's just a a much better distribution of both male and female talent there. And I I really do think that gives things a better balance in terms of uh, both storytelling and artistic expression. It gives things uh, more of a three-dimensional feel, if that makes sense. Yeah, so I'm kind of curious how uh, this first book will turn out uh, as a result of this talent search. But yeah, coming soon... I, I, it's probably closer to Valve soon, my guess would be, because they haven't written the book yet. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So, but yeah, coming soon, the Lost Citadel uh, IP will get launched with uh, with the results of this talent search. Yep, and Green Ronin, of course, publishers of Mutants and Mastermind, probably their biggest title. Uh, Blue Rose just came out. Uh, we've talked about that one before. Uh, they they do the the Dragon Age RPG and the Song of Ice and Fire RPG. So all all of which are excellent books. I own them all, actually. And now, oh, and how did we not mention Fantasy Age? Oh, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> how did we not mention that? It was only, Will Wheaton only ran a campaign of it. <laughs> well, moving on, it's time to turn our attention to Games Workshop, and man, have they been all over the news this week. Yeah, yeah, they've been announcing a lot of stuff. So, first off, the the Caradon Overlords came out, and uh, yes, you have drunk deeply from the chalice of oh, the Dwarven Sky yes. Pirates. Yes, the, uh, the Kool-Aid is both good and thick within my veins now. <laughs> Yeah, but the uh, Caradron Overlords are out. The first release was uh, the frigate, uh, a company of Arcanauts and the Admiral. Yep. The second releases uh, were pre-ordered, and that was the smaller gunships and a a heavier uh, ground fighter. And the expectation is that in the coming week or weeks, we'll see the larger ship come out, along with heroes, the ballooned suspended troops. I, I can't remember what they're called off the top of my head. They look rad, though. Yeah, they really do. And speaking of pre-orders, while you were there getting your dwarves, I had you pre-order me. Uh, the rulebook for Shadow War Armageddon is Oh, my friend. Coming. I had myself pre-order us. Oh. The rulebooks. Oh, my. Yes, so Shadow War Armageddon. Let's talk about that. Okay, so uh, Shadow War Armageddon. We talked about it a couple of episodes ago. It is a, it's basically what became Necromunda when they wanted to bring back Necromunda. They brought back this and said it. And I remember people kind of getting pissed because it's like, what about my Necromunda games? I want to play Necromunda. I don't want to play with normal things. Necromunda was their skirmish level game. I think, you know, nine-ish troops or so is probably where you're going to be at with some optional extras. It's a very fluffy, fun game where you play in these little squads. And then as you complete missions and stuff, you get, I don't know what the currency is in this game, but uh, Necromunda, it was, there was a currency and then you could buy new troops and buy new weapons and you know upgrade your guys and then if guys die they can die and because the box set sold so well the rule book now they're going to print separately it's going to be msrp for 40 dollars, so i'm assuming it's a hardback um where i think the one that came in the box set was a softback and it's going to have rule the the pdf that has the six new factions in it that you can get for free off the website is going to be included in that rule book and they're going to add in sisters of battle and the Inquisition as available armies. It's cool that they're bringing out this rulebook. Um, pre-orders should still be open because usually pre-orders are only open a week for Games Workshop, apparently. But 
Uh, this one, they're going to go a little longer. So by the time you hear this, you could probably still go pre-order a book. It looks like a real fun game. Now, speaking of Warhammer 40K, also in the news, a lot of information finally coming out from Games Workshop on Warhammer 40K 8th Edition. They posted a video today of a Q&A, and I, I wasn't able to watch it. I read a transcript of it that my buddy uh, posted on a website. It looks like they're pretty heavily redoing the rules. Vehicles aren't going to have are going to have weird rules that are separate anymore. They're going to just be stat lines, and it sounds like they're trying to tighten up the game. And here's the best part: games used to take forever, mm-hmm. and now they're trying to push it back to a fifteen hundred point game will only take you about ninety minutes, which is a welcome addition because sometimes just especially you know if you only have a couple hours to game and you want to get like two games and it's just impossible. Sometimes you couldn't even finish one because I you know if you have a big enough game it, back in the day, I mean given I played during second edition, but it could take like four or five hours sometimes. They're taking the the lessons they learned from Age of Sigmar, so they're going to have a, a very mo- much more simplistic rule set by the sound of it. And it sounds like basically what 40k is is it's, it's going to be the sort of Age of Sigmar rules and the General's Handbook rules all sort of wrapped up into one. And you know what? Honestly, it's overdue. It's overdue for this. It's it's so chunky and complex that the barrier of entry for a new player is is almost too much to ask for. Well, moving on, Fantasy Flight unleashed a torrent of information on the new Legends of the Five Rings LCG. They put forth a gigantic gigantic article yeah it was it was thick yeah it was long they basically detailed out all seven clans and they're all back all the seven clans the, the, the base seven clans yeah, yeah yeah the crab the crane the dragon the lion that's four the witch the wardrobe the witch in the wardrobe yes <laughs> um, i don't know i can't remember all the original clans i, I haven't played l5r in a long long time so it, to me it didn't look all that different you know it, it still used the two decks that are strongholds you're still trying to take over strongholds People who are more familiar with the game mentioned that it doesn't seem like Enlightenment victories are there, the, the whole honor thing. I don't know if that's true or not, or maybe they just well, missed it. But to, to be fair, they have not put out the rule book yet, so we do not have a full scope of the rules. But they do outline some of the basic gameplay mechanics, it how the cards work. It sounds very similar. It sounds it, it very is. You similar. Know, I would expect it to be, and I would hope it to be, because you don't necessarily want to hit the reset button fully on something like that, especially with with that big of a following. So there's there's two big things to take away from this article, though. One, it's definitely an LCG. Oh, yeah. No shocker there. I don't think anybody was expecting Fantasy Flight to not do an LCG. The other one is it's going to take you three core sets to get a play set of yeah. every card, which is a lot. Now, given most of the time when they release something, they give you four factions, and this one's giving you seven. So I could kind of see why, because typically you'd have to buy two to get everything yeah. in the f- for the um, four factions, and now there's seven. Yeah, so I'm like, eh, okay, it kind of adds up. But in, in, in the past, it's been pretty much you know that if you're getting into a Fantasy Flight LCG, you're going to be looking at two base sets. That, that was the case with Star Wars, with yeah. Netrunner. With that run, it yeah. was uh, certainly ca- the case with Arkham. But, then, like, but like I said, seven factions instead of four. That's like, you know... I mean, think about it this way. They could have divided it up into two and then made you buy four boxes, you know, of the split. Yeah. So, I mean, three boxes for seven factions. I don't think it's a bad deal, personally. And No, no. But it certainly does put the barrier of entry north of $100. That's uh, true. Which, you know, that, that can be the make or break point. It'll be interesting to see how they go. Yeah. Because, you know, two of the starter sets is generally $80. Asking for that third one, that puts you right at that $100 mark, which makes things a little more difficult. That is... Legend of the Five Rings, coming back. Uh, they, they're still saying it's going to be a preview at Gen Con, and it's not going to be out at Gen Con, which is kind of surprising, but I'm crossing my fingers. Maybe I'll have something out for Origins, because Origins is 
historically one of the two big tournaments that Legend of the Five Rings would do. Fantasy Flight was certainly not done. Oh, uh, no. With their news. They had a good, successful launch of the Rune Wars miniatures game. And to follow it up, they've decided to announce the first additional faction. Well, I don't even want I don't even want to try to tackle this word. The le- Latari? Latari? Yeah. Latari. The, I'm going with Latari Elves Army. It's the Wood Elves. <laughs> it's the it's the elves which live in the forest faction. They're the Guardians of the Deep Wood. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, not only that, I just saw today they announced that uh, it's not just the bo- the main box set that has all the, the main units uh, that we're looking at right now, but all the individual units are also going to be for sale, too. So you can buy, you know, multiples of the cavalry or, you know, an extra one of the wood golems or whatever. They're going to have a sort of a starter box for them, which will have, you know, one of everything, and then you can expand it from there. They're there in all their wood elfy goodness. So, yeah. yeah, that'll add a third faction, which I would say is much needed into the Rune Wars game, because that brings the total up to three, as I said, third yes. faction. And, and they talk about quite a few additional factions in the fluff of the, the manual. Yeah, I know there's an orc one at the very least, and I, I'm pretty sure there's a fifth. So, Oh, yeah, there's an orc. I believe there's a dwarf. It's all the standard fantasy tropes are, are in there. So there's plenty of factions in there. They're just... And, and based off of Descent, I know there's pirates, too. Yes, which is always good. Which is always good. Love me some pirates. Love the pirates. That brings us to the end of the tabletop news. Let's move on to Kickstarters. And there's actually quite a few that are kind of interesting right now. Let's get started with the first one. And this is one that you pointed out, and that's White Box, a game design workshop in a box. Yes, this is by Gameplay Right, and it's getting an assist from Atlas Games, my one of my favorites. And basically, this is a kind of what it says on the marquee. It's going to come with a book with 20 essays in it, because they've unlocked two extra ones with stretch goals. It's going to have 100 wooden cubes, 25 of red, green, yellow, and blue, and there's a stretch goal to get add white into that mix. 24 wooden meatballs, six of each color that I mentioned. Four giant wooden cubes, again, uh, one of each color. 40 plastic discs, uh, 10 of each color. 50 plastic discs of gold and silver for, like, coinage. Eight six-sided dice, two of each color that I listed. And then the uh, you get a digital edition of Jeff Tidball's band or album social game. It's a really interesting product because, yeah, the whole the whole hook is, you know, read some designs and then here's all this crud that you yeah. can use to make your own game. So the 20 essays that are included, and potentially more depending on stretch goals, right. uh, are all on different aspects of game design. So you get a lot of information on kind of the, the core concepts, and then you get all the little bits that you need to test things out and, and come up with some ideas. It's a really great idea. Oh, and I missed, I missed there's going to be three uh, token sets too, three sheets of tokens. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, just a lot of little odds and ends that you can kind of prototype a game with, which I think is really interesting. And then the the book alone, I mean, back when it was 18 uh, essays, they said it was going to be, I forget how many pages, but it was going to equal out to about 18 pages, uh, 18 pages an essay. Yeah, you know, that book is pretty awesome. You can get a, a digital version of it just for $20, which is a great entry level. It looks interesting, and Atlas Games, they're a great company, and they're helping out, so it, it's got their seal of approval on it, which means it's got by the transitive property, the Ars Magica seal of approval. <laughs> so 20 bucks for the digital version of just the book. You get $30 for the white box, which includes the physical version of the book and the ebook. So it's $35 for the brick and mortar version, which gets you a couple different copies for your uh, brick and mortar store if you're a game store owner. And then finally, for $50, you can get the plus version, Bits Book and Box Plus which gets you the physical book, the ebook, and two other gameplay right titles, each in physical and ebook format. Moving on, let's talk about Torg Eternity. So, by the time you are listening to this, this Kickstarter should be active, as it says it's coming out in April. And we are recording on the last Monday of April, I believe. Maybe not the last one. Can, right. I, can I just say real quick that the first piece of art that you see when you, you start researching this is awesome. Definitely got this 
awesome Egyptian vibe. So, gentle listener, do you remember in about 1990 that role-playing game came out? That was kind of a kitchen sink role-playing game where you could play your cyberpunks with your dinosaurs, with your horror characters, with your, you know, high fantasy guys. Okay, so there's this other game that did that too, that came out that year. Uh, This one beat Rifts to Market, actually, by a couple months, but for whatever reason it didn't catch, and it was called Torg. I forget the reason why they told you that the game was called Torg, but the real reason it was called Torg was West End Games made it, and it was their codename, which was the other role-playing game, because they were making Star Wars at the time. (laughs) That's awesome. So the backstory is, our Earth, our Earth, the Earth you are sitting in right now, people, is has high levels of possibility energy. And there are immortal beings in parallel universes that like siphoning that to add to their own mojo. And Earth's was so potent that no one of them could actually take our Earth and hope to do it because our, our Earth was so strong we would just shut them out. One of them, one of the the dark, uh, I think they're called Dark Lords or something like that. They a bu- He got a bunch of them all, all together and they in mass invaded our Earth. And so there are now several zones on Earth that have like these other realities have sort of bled into. So, you know, most of England is like this high fantasy place now and everything in England got replaced with like castles and elves and fairies and pixies and dwarves and such. Uh, Indonesia got replaced with like a horror realm. There's a lost world with dinosaurs. Uh, Europe got mostly taken over by the cyber papacy. Because it's not just a pope, it's a cybernetic pope, which is infinitely better. So yeah, you mix you mix like, you know, no one expects the Inquisition with your good old cyberpunk and jam that together. And that's what happened to, to uh, Europe. The, the sort of the pulp fiction, you know, the Indiana Jones punch him in the face. That reality took over uh, Egypt. And so now Egypt has like, you know, weird arcane magic and high adventure and like, ha put our hands on our hips and punch some Nazis. That's all going on in our world right now. And then areas that, you know, are outside of those zones, they, of course, are not having those problems at the moment. And so they're trying to fight back against these uh, these bad guys and shove them out. And that is the, the basic gist of it. And I wish I could tell you more about the Kickstarter, but as of this recording, it is not launched yet. But it should launch soon. I would probably expect it in the next couple of days. It's a revamped new edition of it. Hopefully they streamlined the rules a little bit because it was, uh, it was based off of when West End Games was taking their D6 system and kind of going down the rabbit hole with it a little bit and making it a little complicated for compl- you know, complicatedness sake. Will the drama cards be back? Will there be a collectible D20? Because I still have my Torg D20. It is a lovely shade of brown and blue with white numbers. That's Torg Eternity coming soon to Kickstarter. Probably by the time you're listening to this, you can go bid on it, and it sounds kind of rad. I'm sure that, as with most RPGs, it will have, you know, 6,000 different backing levels. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, Jonathan, tell us all about Brass. Well, if you were at all paying attention last year, you will know that Brass was the subject of some drama. So Brass was a game that was originally developed by Martin Wallace, and he had a game company that he worked with called Tree Frog Games. Originally, when Brass was published, it was put out by Eagle Griffin Games. They had a contract set up. Martin Wallace had one understanding of that contract. Eagle Griffin had a different understanding of that contract. And at one point, two different versions of Brass were produced, one of which was not even consulted with Martin uh, Wallace about. Needless to say, there was intense drama going on, and a lot of it was in the public eye, uh, which I thought was very unfortunate. It would have been nice to that folks could have kind of put that aside a little better. That being said, the contracts ended, the legal ramifications were interpreted and figured out, and now we are getting a Martin Wallace new edition of Brass, uh, and it's coming to us from the folks from Roxley Games, who have made some of my most favorite, favorite games. Santorini being one of them. They've got super high production value, and you can see that right in the art. 
at the top of the the Kickstarter. Page. Oh yeah, the art, the cover art for the box is beautiful. Brass has never been known for um, how how nice the art was. It was always kind of a sticking point in the game. <laughs> now it feels like Brass is finally getting the the addition that it deserves. Looking at Brass, what we have, Brass Lancashire, which is the original, and Brass Birmingham, which is the you know brand new sequel to the original. Both of which are two to four players and just, um, you know, if the sequel's anything like the original, it's going to be an awesome game. Brass is so much fun. In Brass, you're basically an entrepreneur during the Industrial Revolution. It's kind of economic strategy, if you will. Engine building almost to a point. The the original Brass was great. There was actually a really good digital version that came out that was a lot of fun. And I, I cannot speak highly enough about the game. And now we have a version of it that is getting the art that it always deserved. I mean, it's just absolutely beautiful. By the time you hear about this, you'll probably have less than a week left on it. So if anything we said sounds interesting, follow the link in the show notes. Go look at this game. So there's just three bad Levels. You can do $60 for the original Brass Lancashire. You can do $60 for Brass Birmingham. Or, or you can get your chocolate and your peanut butter baby and pay yep. $100 and get both. Bundle them up. So now... Moving right along. Yeah. Another role-playing game that is not on Kickstarter yet, so we can't talk about it. But it should be out soon, TM. So, uh, again, by the end of April, so definitely before the next episode. And that is Eclipse Phase 2nd Edition. Eclipse Phase, the original, uh, was one of the really early adopters of, you know, sort of the internet. And one of the things they did was they released the core rulebook as a PDF for free from the get-go. It was out under a Creative Commons license, so you could reproduce it. You know, you could, you could print it out yourself if you wanted to, but you couldn't, like, redistribute it, obviously. That that was sort of their, their licensing agreement. So if you wanted to buy a, a hardback copy of it, you had to buy it through the company. And I remember when this happened, like, you know, a lot of the uh, – this is back when I owned a shop. A lot of the people uh, or a lot of the shop owners were a little bit like, oh, I don't know if it'll sell because of that. And, and you know, I can, I can attest to it. It sold quite fine at my shop, even though it was at that point kind of an older game. It was a really early adopter. It's a really weird game. It is freaking bizarre. Okay, so imagine this. It's the future. We've created AI. The AI runs amok like it do and tries to murder everybody on the planet and basically destroys Earth. So everybody takes off into the, the greater cosmos and, you know, the moons of Jupiter get kind of like a fascist government and there's all these little micro governments, you know, associated with planets and everybody puts things in their heads that take snapshots of your brain several times a day. And if you die, they can just make you a new body and slip you into it. Uh, resleeve you as they call it so it is a transhumanism game with horror elements because the evil ais make robotic tentacle monsters and there's conspiracies and it's like everything that i love in life it's conspiracy horror in space like how can you go wrong with that and i remember at a presentation i was at they were showing the cover for the the sun source book that they were coming out with Mm -hmm. and it was this really cool image of the sun with these weird like space whales flying around it and they were like gathering up like solar stuff i don't know what they were gathering up and the funny part was they, they made it a point because, you know, you can slip yourself into new bodies. They're like, yes, your player characters can be one of those if they feel the urge. So I was like, okay, this is a weird game. You can be a space whale and go float around <laughs> and collect space stuff. This should be out soon. It's uh, The original was a really cool game. If you're curious, you can still get it for free as a PDF. I do not know if they will be doing that for the second edition or not. We will find out when the Kickstarter launches, I'm sure. But yeah, that'll be out really soon. And that is, uh, again, that is Eclipse Phase 2nd Edition. There will be a link in the show notes because I'm pretty sure it will be live by the time this episode airs. So next up, we've got Tesla versus Edison Duel. So it was about a year or two ago that Tesla versus Edison was made into a board game and got some, I don't know. I remember I remember talking about it with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It did quite well at the Gen Con that it previewed at. It, a lot of people had a lot of, a lot of love for the game, and it looked like an interesting idea. It basically 
outline the war between Tesla and Edison. Um, Spoiler alert, Tesla lose. <laughs> so, and our dreams of having a light bulb that just gets powered by stuff in the air was never to be. So Tesla versus Edison uh, Duel is a card variant of the game, and um, I've already seen it being described as the next Seven Wonders Duels. And I love Seven Wonders Duel. I think it's a a great game. game. We reviewed that back in like episode two, three? Two or three, yeah. It was a while back. Basically, it uh, it outlines the, the war between Tesla and Edison as they tried to get their current being the one that everybody adopts and there's a lot of different things that Please you can tell do. me you could be edison and do that horrific thing where he would electrocute animals on stage because <laughs> that was so messed up i don't know about look that. how dangerous this is zap <laughs> but uh you can the 1800s were just a different time yeah it really was <laughs> But you can conduct nefarious propaganda and, uh, you know, all kinds of different things. It looks like a really interesting take on the board game, and it's uh, it looks very, very fast. Price of entry is pretty low. $24 gets you a copy of the game. It's going to be $30 at retail, so that does give you a discount. You can get two copies for 45 if you want to go in on it with a friend. saves you a little bit more money. The game, the expansion, the power-up expansion, and a deck of bonus AIs for the base game for $72 MSRP or $50 on the Kickstarter. So there's a lot of different bundles available, and you can even get for $99 the Mega Bundle. The Mega Bundle, which is the dual game and then the original base game and the Powering Up expansion and everything else that we've talked about. So a lot of really good stuff there. It looks like a really fun take on the game, and most importantly, it looks like it plays very, very fast. There's not a ton of these two-player dueling games out there, so it's always nice when a good one comes around. That is Tesla versus Edison, The Duel. And one last thing. Last episode, we mentioned Sentinels of the Multiverse was going to hit Kickstarter soon. It is out. It is doing quite well. Uh, last I checked earlier today, it was at 83,000 out of the 20,000 they wanted. So 1,816 backers with 23 days to go. It's so, yeah, a healthy you, place. Yeah, you got plenty of time to go check it out. Uh, it's live now. It looks really fun. I, I, I'm actually very excited about this game. And you, you can get cheap PDFs of all the Mutants and Masterminds role-playing game stuff, which is awesome. Yeah, honestly, it's worth that just alone. It's doing well, so just go check it out. I'll, I'll put another link in the show notes because I really like this game. So Sentinels of, not Sentinels of the Multiverse, Sentinels of Earth Prime. Basically, Sentinels of the Multiverse in the Mutants and Masterminds, Freedom City, Emerald City, Earth Prime setting. And that brings us to the end of our news and Kickstarters for the day. As always, if there's a project you think we should know about, reach out to one of our digital mediums and let us know about it. And after a quick message from our sponsors, we'll be back with a deep dive of the Dresden Files card game. Captain, come in. It's a war zone out here. The trolls are about to overrun our position. There's casualties everywhere! No one can have a decent conversation without exploding into flame wars! I understand, sir. The other Mont and I are trying to hold them back, but no matter how many we ban, they just keep coming back in greater numbers! Captain, tell my wife. I. Freebooters Forums. A great place to chat with no trolls and no BS. All gaming, all the time. www.freebooters.com We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by doing one of the following. You can email us at fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com. 
You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ForgotMyDice. We post all our articles there, so feel free to comment. Or you can message us directly via the Facebook Messenger. We also have Facebook comments enabled for all our posts at ForgotMyDice.com. You can also message us or tweet us on the Twitter. Find us at ForgotMyDice. You can join us on the Freebooter Network message boards. Find your way there by going to FreebootersNetwork.com and click on the Freebooters Forum. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give the Freebooters Network a review on iTunes. Lastly, for those of you listening from the depths of interstellar space, make sure you turn your controls 18 degrees to the left and flip the intensifier disc on and off again. Interstellar space? Yeah, they listen to podcasts on interocitors. And welcome back. It's now time for our deep dive. And today we're going to be diving deep into the Dresden Files cooperative card game from Evil Hat Productions. Just received this recently from the Kickstarter release that I backed. And I think there's a lot to like here, especially if you're a Dresden fan. So let's let's kind of dive into it a little bit more. So, Robert, tell us about the Dresden Files cooperative card game. Play Harry Dresden and his friends as they take on the cases from the best-selling Dresden Files novels in the ultimate what-if scenario. What if Harry was on the scene with his allies who weren't there in the original story? The core game includes Harry, Murphy, Susan, Michael, and the Alphas, and plays through the first five novels as well as side jobs. A random scenario generator based on the short story collection of the same name. Designs are already well underway for expansions, featuring more series characters and more novels. Yeah, so we actually played through the first three books worth of scenarios. Yeah, we did. I forgot about that. Yeah, we I, wrote, I only through, wrote down two of them. <laughs> yeah, we played through Stormfront, we played through Full Moon, and we played through Grave Peril. You know, if we did, did the next one, that would have hit the limit of all the Dresden Files novels I've read. Oh, I'm yeah. glad we didn't. We saved one. No, this is actually interesting. I And uh, I kind of I kind of liked my, my thing where I have a problem getting through the fourth book of anything. Because I read these books once a very long time ago. Like, a very, very long time ago now. Oh, God, it was pre-my daughter. That was a long time ago. Wow. Sorry. Hold on. Hold on. And I'm done reminiscing. The novels and the characters were not as fresh in my mind. So yeah. it'll be an interesting counterpoint because uh, you, you are up in these novels business... All right, well, let's talk about the basic gameplay real quick. So in the Dresden Files cooperative card game, everybody chooses a character, and that character has a deck of cards. Now, you do not get access to the full deck. You do one draw at the beginning of the game, and that, with a few exceptions, is pretty much it. The cards that you draw at the beginning are the cards that you have to make it through the entire scenario. This game is all about efficiency of actions, and it really forces you to interact with the other people at the table, which I love. Any game that That's promotes like your favorite genre of game. Yeah, well anything any game that promotes good table talk between players is is something that I can really get behind, and this one really does it well. Basically, whatever you have in your hand is pretty much what you have available to you. And the more players you have, the less cards that you get. So we were playing with three people because your buddy came and joined us. Yes. So we got to draw seven. And if there were more people around, we would have drawn less. So but then again we'd have to talk more and we'd have more people there to have cards. So we had 21 yeah. cards that we could play with. So basically the cards come in a couple of different flavors. They come in the ability to grab an advantage off of the table. You have the ability to overcome an obstacle. And obstacles have game-altering effects printed on them that uh, make it harder to do your other objectives. Like it costs one more resource to initiate a fight against something. Exactly. Stuff like that. They never work in your favor. Then you have cards that allow you to attack attackable objectives and then you have cards that allow you to investigate uh, the different cases that are in front of you the book and the plot points of the book are represented in a series of 12 cards that are laid out 
on two different rows. And those rows are numbered one through six. And that represents range. And range is important because not everybody has the ability to hit the cards further down range. Yeah, I was playing uh, Michael. Yes, and Michael who's very close in. Yeah, and Michael doesn't have a card that's beyond range one, but he has a he has. A, we'll get into the special abilities, but he has a way around that. Yes, but but that makes sense because you know Michael is a character who uses a sword rather than firearms or magic or anything like that. Yeah, so it, it makes sense that he would be so range limited. So one last thing that we need to talk about with the characters is that the characters are very asynchronous. Every single one of them has has different talents. Like Michael, for instance, that you were playing short range. And has a lot of... Abilities that do splash damage. Yes. Where you, you can take care of one thing and then that will affect stuff next to it. Yes. Karen is really good at getting you to uh, to pull additional cards from your decks. Harry is an offensive machine, which makes sense. And he's got pretty good range. Yes, and he's got really good range. And so all of these decks are tuned to the individual character. And I think they match very, very well. Additionally, every character has a stunt that they can perform once in a game. And then a character trait that is basically a passive ability always available to them throughout the game. And mine activated, a lot of them activated actually, if you discard a card to cash in for some fate. That's usually when you can trigger it. I've noticed that's a, a reoccurring mechanic. That was how Michael got around his ranged shortcomings, by the way, is if I discarded a card for fate, it would charge up my ability to add plus two range to any of my card abilities, which yes. was very handy. Because then you got to use both sides of the splash damage instead of just the front part. <laughs> Every card in your hand uh, is color-coded to match one of these four different types of cards that, that represent the story. You're forgetting the best part. So all of the cards that are on the table, uh, and this is what I thought was very clever. A lot of cards interact with each other. Yes. So like some th- some things will say like if you solve this mystery, uh, creature X takes damage, or if you kill this creature, mystery you know whatever takes gets clue tokens on it. And, and this is where the game does a really good job of tying itself back into the original property. It also does a really good job of letting you know how. Yes. Because if okay, so for example, if the mystery damages a character both of those cards might be marked with the letter a if you see a card on the table that has like a on it it means that it ties into anything with a yes and, and, and it's really cool either on the left or the right of the letter letting you know that this is a feeds into this card or this card feeds into the other a it's and it goes for like abc I, I didn't see anything past c in a deck N- not in the not in the scenarios that we played yeah but it's really cool it, it's very clever because it lets you know you look at these cards and you're like oh 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 hey hey there's an a and it points forward it, it, okay you read the text like okay do we have this on the table and, and it is very clever i like i like that that the interactions that are on it because a lot of games have very similar things where it's like if you do this this happens to this thing but they don't mark it you just have to like look for it and it was really i thought it was very clever on the card it has the letter and it shows you it's like oh hey we got to keep on a lookout is, yes. is this other thing on here and you go looking for it and and you have a really easy frame of reference to look for it because you don't have to look for the the case name or the monster or whatever you look for another big friggin letter you know you look for the letter a Now, one of the other things that you have on the cards in your deck are the fate cost associated with it. And that actually works in two different ways. You start out the game with a pool of fate. And that pool is larger for easy games and gets progressively smaller if you crank up the difficulty level on the game. The largest pool you'll ever have is 13 fate points, which is the easy mode. And as you spend fate to play one of the cards from your hand. And I think the maximum is six because the highest I saw was five plus a dice roll, which can alter it to up, yeah, upper, that's, plus that's or the minus. highest I've seen as well. So it costs you fate points to play one of your cards. And then you take those fate points and physically move the chits from the available pool into a used up pool. And then 
another player or you, depending on, on what you decide with your other players, can discard a card. And when you discard a card, you look at the fate value and then that is rejuvenated from the used up pile and put back into your available fate pool. So you have this constant discussion around the table of do we have enough to to do what we need to do and does somebody need to sacrifice one of their cards to bring the fate pool back so that there's there's a lot of information seemingly printed on these cards but i do have to say it takes you about three minutes to learn the iconography the iconography in this game is brilliant and a lot of it you said robert is, is actually pulled from the fate rpg yeah 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 you should look through your fate book because yeah a lot of the symbols about the way skills interact with things where you know if you create an advantage if you create a disadvantage that those are those are marked and actually it's kind of weird because like you could also use this as a resource for your uh, dresden files fate game too yes because you can use all the fate markers to represent the fate points that the characters have and they can hand you can hand them the players they can hand them back yep you can use the wound tokens for the same thing because they have wounds they have you know whatever like you, you can do a lot of stuff with this which i thought was very clever i like games that have synergy with their stuff and it's like the game doesn't play like the fate rpg because in the fate rpg you always roll four dice and i sometimes i rolled six sometimes i rolled one <laughs> so it doesn't line up that way yeah but i like that the game itself comes with fate dice and it, and i brought my own fate dice because I, I was like hey this game uses fate dice i'll bring my own i don't roll other people's dice i don't f- and and this time i did not forget my dice ah, ah! i tied it all back now follow they- through people follow through <laughs> Now, the, the whole purpose of the game is that you are using your cards to investigate those cases and attack enemies. And at the end of the game, you are basically put in a situation where you have one last shot to solve any cases that you've been working on that haven't been solved yet, or to attack any enemies that you haven't quite killed yet. And any fate points that you have left over allow you to modify how many dice you have to try and make that happen. So if you have zero fate, you just roll six dice. And good luck. And then you can spend fate points to basically have a static, like, uh, I think on the investigation track in one of the scenarios, if we spent four fate points, we would get automatically two successes, and then we could roll four more dice. Yep. And so with the fate dice, because uh, if you don't know what fate dice are, it's a six-sided die, but two of the sides are blank, two of the sides have minuses, and two of, two of the sides have pluses. And those add up just to how you think it is in math. If you roll, If you roll the dice and get two pluses, a blank, and one minus... Minus and a plus canceling each other out, so you've got one plus left over. It raises it up by one. Yes. Done. The The dice are basically on a curve. You are very, very likely to get a plus one. Uh, I think 60 to 70% of the rolls will either be plus one or minus one or yeah. nothing. You know, but you can get lucky or you can get unlucky. You know, you could get, it's like, yeah, two automatic successes and we win. And roll those four dice and four minuses. Yep. Wah, 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 wah. We lost. So I, I, I like that. It definitely gives you a reason why you want to complete mysteries because I think the idea of trying to like gamble at the end, I think is folly because the dice, the dice can decide to hate you. <laughs> yes, they can. Yes, they can. Although last night we were one. With, no, yours with truly was rolling on yeah. fire. Cause I brought my own fate dice. Yo, <laughs> Now, those fate dice are also used to modify certain attacks and investigative properties. Yeah, the most I ever saw for those is you roll an extra two, I want to say. You, yes. Typically, it was one. I, I There were a couple of cards in the game that were roll two. So, so basically, the card will have a symbol on it that says you get this many points towards either your attack or your investigation. And then it will have a or number. Or sometimes the fate cost, too. Like yes. Yeah. Or, the or fate sometimes co- the fate cost, yes. And then there will be a number in a box representing this is how many fate dice you need to roll. And depending on what the fate dice do, you might get plus or minus however many points to your initial attacks. So and he, means- here's the fun part. If, if that cost is on a fate card, if you're buying it, 
you roll, and if you get a plus, then it raises the fate cost, which is like, ah, oh, nuts, we're, <laughs> we're yeah. using more resources. Which, which is really tough in this game, because resources <laughs> are scarce. Yes, and then, but if you get the minus, it lowers the fate cost. But here's the thing, if you discard that card to get fate, you still roll those dice. And so, but in that case, if you roll the plus, that's a good thing, because it raises the fate cost of the card you're discarding, so thus you put more fate back in the pool, and if you get minus, then it lowers it. So, I just like how the fate dice were integrated, because... It's really easy for a company that uses proprietary dice to put them in as kind of a money grab. And this one, it felt really integral. Oh, no, they're fully incorporated. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's an essential part of the game. And they give you they give you two sets. But, you know, I mean, if, if you play the Fate RPG or if you just want to buy them more because you're like, I don't like the, the color of these dice. But you know what? I saw the Winter Night set at my local game store. Those look real pretty. Or the Centurion dice or the Valentine's dice if you want to have pink and purple ones you know you can you can go do that and they they integrate in this game and then you can use it for your fate rpg i thought it was very clever like all the stuff that they borrowed from the fate rpg to put into this game was integrated very well and it was the, the board game came first in that regard it wasn't just the cash grab and i, I yeah. it, it was just yeah it was just really well done and so that all wraps up at the end of the game when you look at the number of cases that you've solved and you compare it to the number of enemies that are left alive and if you've solved more cases than there are enemies alive you've won if you tie or have more enemies alive than cases solved, then you all lose. I love what it says in the rule book. If you get a tie, it's like if you tie, you lose because Harry can never catch a break. No, which is very true if you're a, a <laughs> fan of the books. So, Jonathan, the eternal FMD question, the one that I seemingly, I, I need to learn. We need to play Lords of Waterdeep so I can teach you. We have. Oh, I did teach you. We talked about it on the show. Oh, man, that was my game. Stop. I need to learn another board game. Do you know how to play Carcassonne? Yes, I do. Betrayal at the House on the Hill? Yep. Robo Rally? Never played it. Oh! Here's your chance. My time will come. Anyway, Jonathan, how was that rule book? Uh, the rule book's pretty good. It's laid out very logically. It runs you through all the different types of cards, the actions that you do. Everybody gets one action per turn. Everything really just kind of culminates well. The only downside, and it's not a particularly large rule book, so it, it hurts it a lot less than it normally would. But the only downside is there is no index. So if you're in one of those initial three, four games that you're you're still kind of referencing that rule book, there, there's going to be some flippage. Yeah, there's going to be some flippage, which is always unfortunate. I mean, putting an index in really isn't that tough. So let's move on to the components, Robert. So let, let's start out with the, the first thing that you'll notice: the the art on the cards. And personally, I think that it really captures the the Dresden Files well. It's the the same comic style art that you see in the Dresden Files RPG books. And I think that it does a great job of capturing the characters and, and setting a, a little bit of immersion for the game. Uh, the art for Michael was okay. It was a little bit more comic booky than I would like. And I, I don't know if it's the same comic book artist that did the various Dresden Files comic books. I, I, yeah, it is. It is, yeah. I, I don't know. I just The Michael art just didn't impress me. The two-part spread on the stunt and character card were really nice, but his just incidental cards were kind of eh. For, but, for me, I think the art does a really good job of capturing but the art. The, the art for all the uh, the the draw the the decks the the book decks was actually really good though. I, I was digging that art a lot, especially yeah. especially beating the crap out of vampires. Love <laughs> killing vampires. As with anything, art is always so subjective. You know, everybody's going to have their own take on it. So the cards are your standard issue cardstock. Probably got to sleeve them. Yours were sleeved. It comes with a board that has the two tracks on it and the various piles. It's it does its job very well. It's a small oh, yeah. board and it's it's laid out exquisitely. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It, it gives you everything you need. For, there's yeah. a pile for every token in the game. Everything shows you exactly what's going on. Range is clearly laid out. It tells you exactly where to put every card. And I mean, the one of the best things about this game is that you can set it up in under five minutes. 
Yeah. It's extremely easy to set up. It's extremely easy to organize the cards as well, I might add. The the tokens seem good. Like they yeah, were no, they were great. just thick enough. Nice thick cardstock. And that's it's a very of... it's a very minimalist game. Like there's there's not a lot of stuff, but no, it, it, no. it plays very well. It's almost just kind of well, it actually just is a card game. It's just in a prettier larger box. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the box because while the, the art on the box is awesome and everything looks great, um, it borrows a lot of art from the uh, novel covers. There is one aspect of the box that's absolutely infuriating. They spent the time and money to make a thermoform insert for the box, which is great. And it's got four nice deep wells for the cards, and they can be used to organize. And one of the greatest things about the game is it comes with an extra set of dividers for organizing the cards, which is great, because those dividers are automatically taller than the cards. But here's the problem. The insert is not wide enough to accommodate a sleeved card, and that just seems like a cardinal sin. Ultimately, there's plenty of room in the box, and just a very minor change to the insert would have solved this problem completely. And it's just an awkward miss that just didn't need to be there. Let's go ahead and move on. In terms of execution, I think this game is executed reasonably well. There's there's a lot of good callbacks to the, the source material See, at I, all times. I disagree. Oh, I disagree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I've, I've played Magic enough. I would have liked to have seen some flavor text on some of these cards. I really think that was actually a pretty big miss on their part because, I mean, the Dresden Files universe is so deep and there's probably a ton. I, I sort of vaguely remember a ton of great quotes. They could have put some quotes of these characters on these cards. There's plenty of room. I don't remember these books very well, to be honest with you. Uh, you and your buddy were, were obviously neck deep in these books. I remember you. I remember you. I remember the look on your face when I was like, "Why are these two things related?" Because I was like, "Why? Why are these things both A?" And and you looked at me like I was dumb. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and you're like, "Don't you remember when Harry? They gave him the clue that they caused him to go solve that. He had to take care of these guys first. Don't you remember?" Yeah, yeah, I remember. <laughs> so, but yeah, just a little flavor text, just to kind of jazz it up and kind of get trigger my, you know, that part of my brain that remembers the written I'm word. I'm going to have to agree with you on that. I think I understand why they didn't, because there's a lot of iconography on the cards, and they wanted to have room for that. Yeah, but magic, magic does it. Oh, agreed, agreed, agreed. But magic does it at this at the the cost of a much smaller font size than is used on these cards. These That's cards true. are very very easy to read. That's true. And so I think in in this case, it seems like they might have put gameplay before flavor. And I'm okay with that, but I agree with you. There should have been a little more flavor on the cards. And and I think that you're right, because there are, especially with any Jim Butcher book, it's all about those great descriptors. And I, I think a lot of it has to do with, uh, I mean, I know the guys who own Evil Hat, like, no Jim Butcher, like, they're all buddies. So they're also probably neck deep in all these books. So it, it, I honestly think it probably didn't occur to them that people who aren't into it as much as they are would be playing this game. But yeah. Yeah, we exist. Hello. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm going to agree with you. I would have liked to have seen that as well. And, and, and here's the thing: it, I also see your point that you know, even if it was a small little teeny tiny font with some flavor, I just I don't know. I like flavor text. It would have no, been fun to I, read some lines. I, I think you got a really good, valid point there. And um, uh, again, I think you're right, especially because Jim Butcher's all about those wonderful descriptors. That's wh- that's where he really, really shines. Mo- moving on to the game itself, I, I think that one of the greatest strengths and weaknesses about this game is the completely random nature of all the setup. It's a great strength because every time you play a story, you're going to shuffle those cards and they're going to get laid out at different ranges, which is great because that means that you can never tackle the same story the, the same way twice. Yeah, my only fear is I think you can lose the game on deployment. 
Well, and, and I think that's a fear that goes along with pretty much every card game. Deal. I think it's worse than this one because you lay out all the cards in front of you, and, and it's really easy to tilt because oh, yeah. if you if you know how this game plays, you can look at the board state and go like, oh my god, yep. how are well, we going to deal with this? And I think this? that that is a function of having such small decks for the players. Here's the thing. We, we won all of our games, and, and some of them were squeakers. One of them was a squeaker, I think, but... Just playing the game a couple times, like, and, and as I was coming to understand it, you know, it was like, oh, like, just certain things hurt when they when they are in certain places, and, and it's, it, I think you could lose the game on deployment, especially if you're unlucky enough to get an obstacle in slot five. I think that'll really mess oh, yeah. with you. Yeah. To be, to be fair, every one of the characters has some kind of uh, mitigation built into them. It's just a matter of whether or not you're going to be able to activate that mitigation and, and get it to kick in enough times in the game, because... Due to the nature of the way you're spending cards and the fact that you don't draw very often, the game has a very finite length to it. I think that's both one of the greatest things about it and one of the things that can potentially hurt it. On the one hand, you've got an experience that even with three to five players, you're going to be able to to get a game in in under 30 minutes once you've learned the game. Yeah, it's fast. But, and you can re-rack real fast. Oh, yeah, that's that's the greatest thing about it. You can re-rack the game in under, under a minute. Yeah. But on the other side, like you said, you can get into that kind of min-max state of mind where you can see Im- almost immediately whether or not you're going to get it. But then again, it didn't happen to us, but I could I could see it happening potentially. So, I, And I, I don't know if that's an often execution, because here's the thing. I, if, if we got one that didn't look like it was solvable and we solved it, maybe I would have felt differently about it. But yeah. We, we got ones that we all solved, so I, I, I could be speaking out of pure ignorance here. But I, I worry about that a little bit, just especially because you, you play with everything on the table at yeah. the get-go. So you, you could see it if it's in front of you. And that just, I am one of those that tilts really badly if it happens, and so <laughs> that worries me. But, you know, no big deal. It was still a lot of fun. Moving on, let's talk about recommended player count. And I think it's the more the merrier. Yeah, it's it's the classic. It's a co-op game. Yep. Through and through, it's a co-op game. So the more people you have sitting around the table, the more interesting table conversation you're going to have. And honestly, with the fewer cards in your hand that you get with the larger player counts, I personally think that's going to make things more interesting. Yeah, well, it shakes up the randomness because when you pull seven cards of your very limited pool, you're pretty much guaranteed to get probably about two of everything, give or take. You know, sometimes that doesn't shake out, but if you only pull like five or four, the card distribution around the table, I mean, in theory, it should all be relatively even, but it could really be swingy. So let's go ahead and wrap it up. Robert, the eternal question. Is it fun to play? The Dresden Files card game is a very, very tight well-designed game. If you're just coming to the show the first time, one of the, the really annoying things about how I have to learn how to play board games is I have to like feel them out because my analytical mind is I'm left-handed. Like, you know, my, my I don't have analytics. I'm an artist. I draw stuff, I guess, or write. I don't know. But anyway, the point is I, I kind of have to feel a game out. One of the r- ways I know a game is good is how long it takes me to sort of get to that point where I have felt the game out and understand it. Mm-hmm. And Scythe is by far the winner because Scythe is sublime. I got that within the first round. But this one, uh, I I had no... It's pretty close, yeah? Uh, no, I, I didn't know what was going on in the first one. The second book, I pieced it together by the end of the second one. And then the third game was the f- only game of the three we played where I, I understood what was going on from the get-go. And and I don't know if you paid attention, but that was the one I talked the most to because I... Yeah, I suppose that's true. That's yeah, because in the first two, I, I kind of followed your guys' lead. And then the third one was the one where I started chiming in. That being said, three playthroughs of a game that takes 30 minutes, it meant that I understood the game in 90 minutes, having been exposed to it that day. I don't know if I would call what I have mastery, but at least, you know, understanding enough that I could start formulating battle plans and discussing them with you guys. Two playthroughs for any game. 
is good and that's the thing too you guys had both played it before yes and even though i was real stupid and holding you back and asking questions we still played that first game in about 30 40 minutes so yeah yeah which which says a lot if you can if you can do a teaching round with a new player in less than 10 extra minutes from a a season players round i think that says a lot about the game time the game is very very well designed it's very very tight it's very heavy on the resource management. Yes, and I, I like. That I, I think that'll it. be uh, that. That that is probably the thing that'll either make you like it or make you hate it. Because if you if you hate resource management, this is not the game for you. You will not enjoy it. This is heavy resource management. I I play War Machine and miniature games. I like resource management. So once I figured out how the game got together, I liked it a lot. Jonathan, was the game fun to play? Oh, absolutely. I think that this is the quintessential quick play game. It's well designed. It's extremely well thought out. It's very easy to teach. And even with brand new players, you're under an hour, which is amazing at max player count. So I I think that this, this game really, for me, fires on all cylinders. If you are a fan of the books, there is fan service everywhere you look. Obviously, it was made by people with a deep love of the series. That that, that much definitely comes up to the to, to the surface. Agreed. But beneath it is this sublime engine. I love the resource management aspect of it. Every single decision you make matters. You have you have to think of every decision all the way through because you have so limited a number of of cards available to you the first time i sat down to play this game i got very frustrated by that once i learned how to play this game i realized how absolutely amazing that was the the game itself it's like untying a knot yes yes (laughs) in in all the the greatest ways it's a puzzle it's a puzzle that that reshapes itself every time you draw those cards out and you have to think around how you're gonna how you're gonna do it and when you solve this puzzle the doorway to hell doesn't open, and Doug Bradley in pinhead makeup doesn't come out and greet you. I'm, I'm going to call, call that a pro. That is a pro. At the end of the day, I think what we have here is probably one of the uh, best cooperative games I've ever played because it forces you to have that conversation with the rest of the table, and it really, really just fires on all cylinders once everybody learns it. And it does such a good job of paying homage to the IP that it's it's based around. I think it's a great, great package, especially especially for the price point. So that is the Dresden Files cooperative card game from Evil Hat Production. It's available for $39.99 pretty much everywhere. I've seen it in, in our local game scores here. Well, that brings us to the end of episode 17 of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Once again, as always, join us on all of our digital forums. We've got our forums at the Freebooters Network. That's right. We've got our Facebook page. That is correct. Uh, you can catch us on Twitter. Where you can see my pictures of my the Castle Tentagel that I'm rebuilding. <laughs> I just finished the this uh, North and West Wing. Also, if you join us on the Patreon. Yes, absolutely. We'll be updating the Patreon page with all kinds of neat stuff as we start to expand it and grow it. So if you have a moment to go and, and kick us a dime or two, we'd really appreciate it. It just kind of helps to pay for the show and, and keep it running. I really, really don't want to steal a joke from Painting with Menoth John. <laughs> but I love I love the line. It, Painting with Men Like John is a podcast where he actually actually it's a YouTube thing where he paints models and then talks. But he he always says, and I love this line. You know, it's like yeah, go give us some money on the Patreon. Just remember, we take the money that jangles, but we love the money that folds. <laughs> there you go. I love that line. It's great. Well, as we wrap this up once again, Robert, any final words, any final thoughts that you'd like to impart upon us? Uh, no. Sounds like Robert just rolled a minus sign on his great <laughs> dice. 
<laughs> Dragon Quest Builders is fun. Oh, you in that game. Destiny's fun. Destiny's fun. I'm a little late to the party on that one. <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us to the end of episode 17. We will see you again in two weeks for episode 18. Just for those of you in the Austin area, just to let you know, we will be going to Chupacabra Con uh, in the upcoming months. If you are in the Austin area during that convention, please let us know so that you can uh, meet us and come say hi. We'll you'll you'll recognize you. us because surely we'll be the only nerds there that have facial hair. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that we will be. Because <laughs> no, no other nerd men will have facial hair. No. Are you no. kidding me? I'm, I'm sure that we will, we will stand on like sore thumbs. <laughs> Yes, like we said, if you're going to be in the Austin area and joining us at ChupacabraCon, we'd love to, to meet you. So definitely come by and say hi. And beyond that, Robert, party on. Party on, Jonathan. The music you heard in this podcast was Intro by Elephiel and Retro Funk by Persephone, both used with permission via the Creative Commons license.